If you have your Bible there, please uh, turn up Mark chapter 6 for me. We're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Say so a, a big public thank you to John McKee uh, for sharing God's word with us last week. It's encouraging, isn't it, to uh, see young men like John being uh, called into the ministry. And God, John has clearly uh, been equipped by God for that task. And I'd ask you to pray for John um, as he trains and, uh, and uh, stretches that gift that God has given him for ministry. And last week we saw the beheading of John the Baptist. Um, Mark sort of veered away from the main narrative of the story to, to tell us how John the Baptist died. But today we come back into the narrative of the story and, and back to the action that's taking place with Jesus and the disciples. And so we'll start reading from Mark chapter 6 at verse 30. Mark chapter 6 verse 30. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived there before them, and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding, surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. They took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Folks, if you want to have Mark chapter 6 and, and verses 30 to 44 open in front of you, that would be helpful. So we turn to think about this portion of God's word. Um, I don't know about you and, and how you felt over this last week, but I've been really pleasantly surprised by all of the news reports about Prince Philip, about the Duke of Edinburgh, because I've learned lots about him that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. 
I learned lots about who he was and what he did. And I suppose it, it shouldn't be surprising that the man had such a long life that, of course, he did things that I had never heard of. Uh, he was nearly, very, very close to being 100 years old. He has been married to the Queen twice as long as I've been alive. But I think I learned new things about him after his death. And the truth is, in my job, that's quite often the case. It's only after a person dies that you get to find out what they were really like. You get to find out what their family think of them. And it's a real privilege to be able to, to sit and to share with families after a death what the person was like. Those, those stories where families reminisce about a person, that's a, a precious experience and it's a blessing for me to often share in it. But the most special part about that, and this is what I noticed about Prince Philip also, is that not only do you learn who the person was, you learn what the person was like. Not only their identity, but also their character. Now, so much of Mark's gospel to this point has been about the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is. Mark began the gospel by introducing it as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that's what Mark wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And all along, he's providing evidence to that, to show us that Jesus is God. We've seen Jesus' power over the physical world, over storms and over sickness. We've seen his power over the spiritual world, showing authority over Satan and over demons. We've seen the ability that Jesus has to teach in a way that nobody has ever heard before. He has authority when he teaches, and the people are amazed by Jesus' teaching. But still, we're in chapter 6, and the question still comes up, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Last week, as I say, John McKee did a great job of helping us understand the, the death of John the Baptist. And the reason that Mark veered into speaking about John the Baptist is because Herod thought Jesus might be John the Baptist, come back from the dead. This question of identity is to the front of this section of Mark. Remember the, the people of Nazareth. They thought they knew who Jesus was. They said he's the son of Mary. And because that's what they thought, they reacted with unbelief. Herod thought he knew who Jesus was. He's John the Baptist, back from the dead, and so Herod reacted with fear. But neither of these got the identity of Jesus correct. Jesus is more than the son of Mary. And Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. So what we learn from our passage today is more about who Jesus is, more about his identity. But as well as that, we learn about his character. We learn what Jesus is like. And so I have three points for us today. The first is about Jesus' identity. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And then we have two points about his character. Jesus is compassionate and Jesus is generous. But we'll begin by thinking of Jesus as the chief shepherd. 
This miracle of feeding the 5,000 made an impression. It made an impression on all those who wrote a gospel. It's included in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels. But we're studying Mark, and so it's important, I think, to, to notice what Mark tells us, how God teaches us through the gospel of Mark about what happened in this miracle. It's also worth saying that because it's such a well-known story, we can imagine we already know what the minister is going to say. We want to be careful that we don't assume that we know what's going on. Let's, let's pay careful attention to the words that God uses through Mark in the way he tells this story. You'll remember that before the previous passage, before the beheading of John the Baptist, Jesus had sent out his 12 disciples. And they're referred to here in verse 30 as the apostles. Jesus had sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. So basically they were going out to copy the things that they'd seen Jesus doing. And I think it's important for us to realise then that this section of Mark is not only about the identity of Jesus, it's about the training of the disciples. Jesus is getting the disciples ready. And we've seen that before in Mark. He's, he's getting them ready for the day when he will leave them behind. He will leave them with the Holy Spirit. And, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, their job will be to carry on the work of the kingdom through the church. To get them ready for that day, Jesus is training them. And so that's why I call Jesus the chief shepherd. Because much of this passage is really about training the disciples to be many shepherds or under shepherds to Christ. You see, in verse 30, the disciples gather around Jesus and they tell him all the things that have happened. Tell them everything they did, everything they taught. They, they must have been really, really excited. But little do they know that they're about to be taught even more. They're going to learn even more in what happens next. Their faith in Jesus is going to be deepened and stretched and tested. Now, I have one of those red letter Bibles. I don't know if you have a red letter Bible. It's where the, the words of Christ are in red. I don't like it. Um, I don't think it's helpful to have that because the whole Bible is the word of God and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be confused into thinking that the words in red are somehow more important. But because they are in red, it's easy for me to see the things that Jesus says out loud in this passage. And the things he says out loud are directed at the disciples. Not at the 5,000. They're directed at the disciples. And it's words of challenge to the disciples. If you look at verse 37, you can see what Jesus says to the disciples. He tells them, you give them something to eat. That's a challenge. And then at verse 38, he, he asks them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so the point I'm making is that Jesus is always teaching. He's challenging the disciples and he's calling them to put their faith into action. Jesus has things under control. <coughs> Jesus has taken the disciples out to this deserted place 
The people, all these crowds of people have followed them. And Jesus will demonstrate his power, his might, with a miracle of providing bread. Bread from nowhere, out of nothing. But he also wants the disciples to learn. He wants them to realise that faith in him means action. He challenges the disciples to grow and to deepen in their faith by acting upon it. After he does the miraculous sign, you can see what happens in verse 43. You see how many baskets of leftovers there are? There are 12 baskets, one for each of the disciples. That's not a coincidence. Each of the disciples is being taught. And Jesus is teaching these men that he and he alone is to be trusted. He and he alone will provide. He and he alone can provide. And his provision is abundant. It's over and beyond what is needed. That's going to be important. That's going to be important for them when Jesus has gone into heaven. Because faith in Jesus is never misplaced. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so he's the only one who can do the things he does. He's the only one we can rely on. The disciples tell uh, Jesus, look, it's going to cost about 200 denarii to feed all these people. And that's more money than the disciples had. But Jesus feeds all the people. Jesus does something money cannot because Jesus is greater than money. All the money the disciples had couldn't have fed this crowd. But Jesus can feed the crowd. So you see the lesson for the disciples. You see the lesson for us today. Faith in Jesus is never misplaced. Jesus is the only one who can do the things that he does. He's the only one who can be trusted as our shepherd. The reason that Jesus does all of this is because he is the chief shepherd. He is watching over the sheep. The disciples, well, they are shepherds in training. They have their L plates up. There's only one chief shepherd, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage, Jesus is training the disciples. But even today, he appoints under shepherds in the church. The elders in our congregation are shepherds. But all are only under-shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the one who cares for the sheep. He cares for us through his spirit and word. He leads us and guides us by his word. Jesus is the only one we should trust with all of our lives. There are others who will seek to lead us astray. What about money? We've seen the, the 200 denarii in this passage. But Jesus can do things money can't. Jesus can do things money can never do. We shouldn't be lured away from Christ by money. Jesus is the chief shepherd. There are other leaders that we can compare Jesus to. We can compare him to Herod. We can compare him to the Pharisees, to the, the scribes, the, the religious leaders of the day. 
Jesus is better. Jesus is better because Jesus, our chief shepherd, is compassionate enough to care for us and he is generous enough to provide for us. You see, in this passage, not only do we learn who Jesus is, he is the chief shepherd, we learn what he is like. And so let's move to our second point. This chief shepherd is compassionate. Only Jesus is compassionate enough to care. There are allusions to Old Testament passages in this section of Mark. Passages in the Old Testament which, which speak of God and his Messiah as a shepherd. Passages, well, we, let's look at verse 34. In verse 34, you see what Jesus says. Jesus saw the multitude of people and was moved with compassion because they were like sheep. Sheep without a shepherd. And this calls us to think about passages in the Old Testament like Numbers chapter 27. In Numbers 27, Moses appoints Joshua and he says, Let the Lord, the God of all spirits of flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. God knows that his people need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them and he appoints Joshua. When in Ezekiel chapter 34 we read about the condemnation that God has for the religious leaders of Israel. Ezekiel 34 says, Thus says the Lord God, As shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth. With none to search or to seek for them. Like I'm not a shepherd. But sheep without a shepherd are helpless and pitiful creatures. God's people need good shepherds. In that sense, I am a shepherd, I hope. God's people need good shepherds to watch over them and to care for them. But throughout Mark's Gospel, well, we've, been, we've seen what the religious leaders of the day were like. The scribes, the Pharisees, they had failed in their duty. They'd been selfish. They'd not taken care of the sheep. It's not what Jesus is like at all. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is always giving of himself, always caring for the sheep. He looks out at these 5,000 men, that's not mentioning all the women and children, and he has compassion. He is the one who will shepherd them. Jesus is the one who will feed them, lead them, 
and care for them. The religious leaders, will they feel? The people are learning that only Jesus will care for them. We also see the difference between Jesus and Herod, don't we? Herod was supposed to be the king. In a political sense, he was meant to be the leader. But again, what's his great downfall? It's that he's selfish. He's only interested in himself. He's only interested in what other people think of him. We saw the beheading of John the Baptist because Herod was worried about what his dinner guests would think. The compassion of Jesus is so great because he's not selfish in any way. He cares. As John the Apostle put it in his gospel, Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And the ultimate act of compassion, of self-sacrifice, Jesus went to the cross. He gave his own life in order that we could be saved. That the sheep, the chief shepherd dying in the place of his sheep in order to bring them everlasting life. What compassion, what care. The things that we might look to for hope and help and security in this life, the things that we look to to care for us, well, they're not worth comparing to Jesus. Only Jesus is compassionate enough to care for us. He cares so much that he gave his life. He gave his life so that you could live today. I hope you know the compassion of Jesus. Because what we see in our last point is that this compassionate chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, well, he is generous enough. And only Jesus is generous enough to provide for his people. The first thing that Jesus does for the people out of compassion is in verse 34. Look at verse 34. Jesus is moved with compassion and so he began to teach them many things. This is what a compassionate shepherd does. Jesus provides for us today in this way, doesn't he? He still provides with his word that is taught Sunday by Sunday. Without Christ working in his word through his spirit, well, we're like sheep without a shepherd. But Christ in his generosity has provided for us. He provides us with everlasting life through his death and resurrection. But he also provides for our ongoing spiritual life. He's given us his spirit and word. He has given us men who will preach the gospel. He's given us men who show compassion as our elders. He's blessed us to, to know the, the love, care and fellowship of one another in the church. He's blessed us with the gift of prayer so that we can talk to him. He's blessed us to know his gospel through the sacraments. As we see them, as we taste them. What a privilege it is to know the spiritual provision of our chief shepherd through the ordinary means of grace. I want you to notice what Mark says in verse 39. Jesus tells the disciples 
to command the people to sit down on green grass. Doesn't that make you think of Psalm 23? How the good shepherd leads his people beside still waters and makes us lie down in green pastures. What a picture of peace. The, the peace and joy that we receive only from Jesus. The ultimate and absolute rest we have by knowing that our sins are forgiven. That we are under his tender care and compassion. What a picture of total satisfaction. So just as we read in verse 42, the people ate and were satisfied. They were filled. So we should feel spiritually because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has done everything needed. He has paid every part of our debt. Sin may have left a crimson stain, but Jesus has washed it white as snow. If your trust is in Jesus, the chief shepherd, well, his grace is abundant and free. It overflows. Twelve baskets of leftovers, an overflowing and abundant grace. What Jesus does for us is so generous. His blood is more than enough to cover your sin. So today, you can rest. You can rest and be satisfied like a sheep lying in green pasture. But let me finish with one final thing. Our spiritual satisfaction is important. But I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus, in his compassion, cares for every aspect of the sheep. Look at how he takes the disciples away to a quiet place. They don't get the quiet that they were hoping for. But there's recognition from Jesus. The disciples must have been emotionally and physically drained from their missionary activity. And so Jesus provides space for them to recover time. He does teach the multitude many things. But he also provides bread and fish for them. In this, this miracle which demonstrates his power, not only over the creation, but of creation. He makes bread from nothing. So he feeds their physical hunger as well as their spiritual hunger. You see, we are not just souls floating about in the universe. Our souls are in bodies. We are attached to bodies. We have feelings, we have emotions. And Jesus cares about all of those things. I know that many of you struggle with physical or emotional pain and stress. And some people struggle with both. I don't want you to think that Jesus only cares about your spiritual well-being. Jesus cares about all of you. Every single part. So we need to thank him for what he does give us. We need to thank him for what he provides for us each and every day. The sunshine and the rain. The food on our tables, the clothes on our backs, the roofs over our heads. 
for family, for friends, for doctors and for medicine. Jesus has provided all this for us. He is generous in his provision. But ultimately, I want you to trust in Jesus and know the hope of a future day when we will have true and lasting peace spiritually and physically and emotionally. We have it now spiritually, but one day we will have it in all its fullness. This feast, the feeding of the 5,000, this is a picture of what the future is for all Christians. A day when, when we shall be gathered to Jesus, when we shall sit at his feet, and we shall have full joy and full satisfaction as we feast with him. We will know a peace of body, mind and soul that comes only through the chief shepherd who is compassionate enough to care for us and who is generous enough to provide for us. Let us come before him now in prayer. Let's pray.